The reading is in two parts today and can be found on page 1203 and 1207. So 1203 and 1207, Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, and Hebrews 10, 1 to 22. <clears throat> Hebrews 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. First, he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them although the law required them to be made. Then he said, Here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my law in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, 
let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good. Let me pray as we begin. Father God, thank you so much that we can uh, come to you, our loving, kind, heavenly Father, uh, knowing that you hear our prayers, that you delight to hear our prayers. And we do just pray now that as we consider your son and the difference he makes to our prayers, you might encourage us and challenge us. And uh, we pray that we would, do, we would leave here this evening longing to pray more. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, anyone know who this is? It's me. Well done, smart Alex. Yeah, very good. Who's the other guy? Oh, St. Mary's. Oh. Okay, he's a rugby player. Ben, no. No, it begins with B. Let's narrow it down to a nation. He's an all black. This is a, um, a World Cup winning all black. St. Mary's, I'm ashamed of you. You're too into your football. You need to get into a proper sport. A taxi for Dennis. <laughs> this is a guy called Brad Thorne. Brad Thorne played second row for uh, New Zealand in the World Cup, well, a couple of World Cup finals, I think. And um, he uh, lived in Leicester because he played for the Leicester Tigers. And um, I had the privilege of interviewing him. Uh, he's a Christian, evangelical Christian, and I interviewed him for uh, an evangelistic event. Really great testimony. And um, I really hoped that off the back of this interview, I thought I did it quite well, that me and Brad would become besties. That was my, um, I've got his email, I haven't quite got his mobile number yet, but I thought that might come. And I thought that if we became besties, then he'd better get me access to Leicester Tigers. You know, I'd better walk in, literally as the players changing rooms, a bit of shake hands with everyone, and before you know it, I'd be besties with the whole Leicester team and then the whole England team, and I'd have access unlimited to everywhere. That was my grand plan. Sadly, it didn't quite work out that way, and we've never really spoken since. Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah. But if you want to gain access, if you wanted to gain access to the Leicester Tigers change room, it's about who you know, isn't it? It's about having someone on the inside. And that is why we pray in Jesus' name. That's why we perhaps think those words or say those words, because we appeal to our friendship and our relationship with Jesus as our means of access. And in this short series, we've been thinking about how uh, God's triune nature impacts and sh shapes the way we pray. Last week, we saw that we're made for communion with the triune God, we're made for relationship with him. And yet, we looked at this really sobering quote that um, says that our prayer life reflects our relationship. Your prayer life reveals how much you really want communion with God. I stress it absolutely does not tell you about your security as an unrejectable child of God, but it does tell you very accurately how much of a baby you are spiritually, how much of a hypocrite you are, and how much you actually love the Lord. Thus, if your tendency is to think you're rather wonderful, just remember your prayer life. 
And as we reflected on that last week, we felt the pain of that. We felt the exposure of that. And we said last week, and I think it's important to say again, the answer as we reflect on our lack of prayer is not to wallow in guilt or just try harder. The answer is to turn again and look at the nature and the character of the God we serve. Because it's as we do that that we'll grow in love for him. And as we grow in love for him, we'll want to pray for him, pray to him. So last week we thought about how praying to God as Father gives us certainty. He's the generous Father. He's the holy ruler. He delights to hear our prayers. And he delights to give his children good things. We can be certain that he's able to answer our prayers. But the only reason that we can pray to God the Father with that certainty is because we pray through the Son. It is only praying in Jesus' name that gives us confidence before the Father. Now I suspect that some of us, perhaps many of us, don't always feel confident to approach God in prayer. We feel a sense of our unworthiness. Perhaps we feel uh, we're painfully aware of our sin and failings. How do you respond in those moments where you have sinned and you're painfully aware that you've done something wrong. Perhaps you've just looked at something online that you know you shouldn't. Or you've had a lustful thought and you've acted on it. Or you've bad-mouthed someone behind their back. Or you've just been really selfish and you just, whichever of those or whatever you've done, you, you know it. And you're convicted of your sin. Well, in that moment, do you immediately pray and ask for forgiveness? I suspect many of us don't. How can we? How can we act like that? How can we treat God like that and then go to him and ask for forgiveness? In that moment, we don't feel confident to approach God. And tonight, what I'd love us to see is that even in that moment, we can have every confidence to approach God's. And the reason is because Jesus is our perfect high priest who opens up access to God. The problem all the way through the Bible is how can sinful people have access to a holy God? For God's perfect holiness means he cannot have sin in his presence. He cannot tolerate sinful people. He's holy. And because of that, in the Old Testament... The priests were to mediate, they were to go between God and his people. And once a year, the high priest would enter the most holy place of the tabernacle, or later the temple, the place where God was present with his people, and they would go and they'd sprinkle the blood of a sacrifice to atone for the people's sin. And as the high priest entered, he he wore this uh, breastplate of 12 stones, as he goes into the place where God dwells. And those 12 stones represent the 12 tribes of Israel. So you see what's happening? The high priest is symbolically entering the presence of God, carrying in God's people. But the writer to the Hebrews says, Jesus is better. Jesus is a better high priest. You see, the problem for the Old Testament priests was that the work was never done. Hebrews 10, verse 11. 
And day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. The high priest was, it was a great job to have, you were always busy, because the sacrifices couldn't take away people's sins. But the writer of the Hebrew says, Jesus is better. Verse 12. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus is better because, well, his sacrifice was once for all time. It never needed to be repeated. In offering his own body as the perfect sacrifice, his priestly work was finished. That's why he sits down. Sits down, job done, completed. Because he does what the Old Testament priests were unable to do, and that's remove sin. Verse 14. Because by one sacrifice he is made perfect forever, those who are being made holy. Jesus perfects God's people. Because not only does he forgive us, verse 18, but he removes sin from us. He gives us new hearts, verse 15 to 16. And as a result of this priestly work, we have access to God. Look at verses 19 to 22. Therefore, this is the consequence, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So we have confidence to enter the most holy place. This is temple language again, isn't it? And the curtain that separated the most holy place from the next bit out of the temple is ripped in two. We have access. We can, by faith, have full assurance of access. And so it's like the high priest, Jesus, enters into the presence of God and he carries us, his people, with him. Jesus is the better priest. And that means that he can now call us brothers, and that's why we can call God Father. That's why we are his children. Children have access to fathers uh, where other people don't, don't they? I love this picture here. This is a picture of um, JFK. It's um, a very famous picture. My understanding of American politics is basically shaped by West Wing and House of Cards. (laughs) So it's quite limited. But I do know that the Oval Office is one of the most powerful and hardest rooms, offices, to access in the world. He's one of the most powerful people in the world. And then who's the little boy at his desk? It's his son. It's John Kennedy Jr. He's able to access places where no one else can go because he's, well, that's his dad. It's his father. Christ, the perfect high priest, mediates between us and God, uniting us with himself, perfecting us so that we might be adopted by God as his children. And now Christ's access, access is our access. His father is our father. 
And so when we just pray and we trot off the words in Jesus' name, whether you say it or not doesn't matter because every time you pray, you are acknowledging, in Jesus' name, we're acknowledging that we are only able to approach God confidently because of the priestly work of his Son. The reason that God the Father delights to hear our prayers, the reason that our prayers are acceptable to God, is because they always go through Christ. There is no other way of praying to God. And that's why we can have great confidence as we pray. Great confidence. Here's um, four reasons to be confident. This is the first one. Our sin is no longer a barrier to our prayers. Remember that moment we talked about earlier, that sin? That moment of guilt? How, how do we respond? We feel reluctant to pray. We feel like God won't want to hear from us in that moment. And so rather than confessing our sin straight away, is what we do is we leave it a few minutes. Perhaps we leave it a few days. Perhaps we even leave it weeks. And when we feel less guilty, then we'll come to God and we'll come to him in prayer. But from God's perspective, has anything changed in that time that we've been waiting? No. Nothing has changed at all. His love through that entire time that we've been keeping our distance has been unwavering. For chapter 10, verse 14, you have been made perfect. You've had your sins forgiven. You've been cleansed. 10.22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience. Our bodies have been washed clean. Even our guilty consciences have been cleaned. Guilt is not actually a Christian category. The Bible talks about godly sorrow leads to repentance. So a right response to our sinful failings is sorrow and regret that drives us to our knees in humble confession and repentance. And David's prayer in Psalm 51 after he's committed adultery, adultery and, had it, and had the husband murdered. David's Psalm 51, his confession and repentance before God is a wonderful model of what that looks like. But the Christian is not to be someone who wallows in guilt. For our, our guilt has been dealt with. 10.17, I will rem- lawless acts I will remember no more. I think that we can sometimes think that God will be more likely to accept our prayers if we've spent a little bit of time feeling miserable about our sin. Wallowing guilt, wallowing in guilt. If you like doing a bit of penance, really trying to show God how sad we are about what we've done. But to do that is actually dishonouring to God. Because to act like that is to reject his grace and mercy that is yours in Christ. And so immediately, and if I could click my fingers, I would, immediately after sin, we can come to God in prayer and confession and repentance. Knowing his love and forgiveness, 
We can come to God with our messy lives, with our sinful failings, and we don't have to sort ourselves out before we pray. I'll pray later when I've had a better day. No, we come as we are. And we can pray just as much on the, on the bad days as we can on the good days. God the Father will no more reject your prayers than he will reject the prayers of his Son. And that's on your worst days. So the Christian can be confident that our sin is no longer a barrier to our prayers. Secondly, God understands our struggles. When you've experienced something, you're much more able to sympathise, aren't you? Um, on my stag do, uh, I had the privilege of having a, a, doc- a, a doctor as an usher and a best man whose dad was a vet. And so they um, put my leg in a plaster cast. Um, the, they got this stuff that was used on horses. That was the vet's dad. Dad is a vet to put it up. And then the doctor had had a quick conversation with the surgeon at a hospital and had got some tips about how to do it. And so I was in this, this cast for 24 hours or so until someone cut me out the next day. And you know, that whole experience gave me a newfound empathy for people who break their leg and have to wander around in a cast. It was so frustrating. I felt so inhibited. I was only in it for 24 hours. I'm much more able to sympathize now in the weakness having been through that. And I think that's what's going on in Hebrews 4. Just turn back to Hebrews 4. In Hebrews 4, we see that Jesus is able to sympathize in our weakness because he's experienced what we've experienced. Verse 14 and 15. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So Jesus was truly human. He experienced temptation just like we do. But unlike us, he did not sin, and that's why he was able to be the perfect sacrifice, the perfect high priest. You know, as you and I persist in sin, sometimes we can feel reluctant to come before God because we imagine him to be like an angry school teacher who's getting increasingly frustrated that, we, that you don't do your homework. You persistently don't do your homework, and he's getting more and more cross. And we don't want to come before God because we've come and confessed this sin so many times before. By now, he just must be so cross with us. Well, God hates sin. Yeah, he really hates it, but he also knows what it's like to be human. He knows what it's like to face struggle and temptations. And he's not an angry school teacher. He's a loving father. He's like a father watching his child in the sack race at school. Seeing his child struggle on and fall over and then get back up and then fall over again. And he's willing his child on to persevere to the end. And he even commits to helping his children to get to the end. He commits to making us holy. That's what he's like. So, therefore, 
Verse 16 of chapter 4. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, in the midst of your struggles with sin, don't hide yourself away from God, but draw near to him. Approach him. Be confident of his grace towards you, because as you do, you'll receive grace and mercy and help. There is much freedom in God's grace. You know when you've fallen out with a friend and you, uh, you know you've done wrong and you have a conversation and you experience that wonderful forgiveness and reconciliation. It's a wonderful moment and you just feel the tension come off you. Well, in our struggles, we come to God the Father who understands and we can experience that mercy and grace of forgiveness and assurance of his love. So come to him. Don't hide from him. Here's the third reason why we can be confident. And that is our prayers are good enough in Christ. One of the reasons I think we don't pray, uh, perhaps particularly in public, is because we don't think our prayers are good enough. Uh, We're worried they're going to sound a bit jumbled, not very eloquent, not very wise sounding. And so we'd rather not pray than look silly, either before others or before God. And I was struck by something I read in um, Tim Chester's book this week. He said this, Our prayers are always good enough because Christ is good enough. Our prayers are always good enough because Christ is good enough. Our prayers are always good enough because Christ is good enough. That's the short version. Here's a longer quote from a guy called J.C. Ryle. It's a bit old school language, but I think it's really helpful. There is an advocate and intercessor always waiting to present the prayers of those who will employ him. That advocate is Jesus Christ. He mingles our prayers with the incense of his own almighty intercession. So mingled they go up as a sweet savour before the throne of God. Poor as they are in themselves, they are mighty and powerful in the hand of our high priest and elder brother. The banknote without a signature at the bottom is nothing but a worthless piece of paper. A few strokes of a pen confer on it all its value. The the prayer of a poor child of Adam is a feeble thing in itself. But once endorsed by the hand of the Lord Jesus, it availeth much. Just so the ear of the Lord Jesus is ever open to the cry of all who want mercy and grace. It is his office to help them. Their prayer is his delight. See, our prayers are weak and feeble. Our prayers aren't actually very good. But when they are brought to the Father in the hands of Christ, as he carries them into his presence, well, then they're good prayers because Christ carries them in. See, your prayers in Christ are good enough. So don't not pray because you don't think your prayers are good enough. Approach the throne of grace confidently. Well, fourthly and finally, we can be confident because we have nothing to prove. Because we have access to God 
only through the Son. And because we, have, we only have confidence that our prayers are acceptable to God through the Son, then we have nothing to prove at all. Uh, last week we looked at the Lord's Prayer, didn't we, in Matthew 6. Um, well, just before that, Jesus says these words. You can look at them up at Matthew 6 or they're on the screen. He says this, And when you pray... He's talking to the disciples. Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So we have nothing to prove before God. Praying eloquent prayers or long prayers with really big words, not necessarily a bad thing, but it doesn't get you any credit before God. It doesn't make your prayers any more acceptable to him. He isn't any more likely to listen than he is already. And if you've got nothing to prove before God, then you've got nothing to prove before other people. The hypocrites, that Jesus says, the hypocrites, they love to be seen praying in front of others. But be very aware, Jesus says, of the person who loves to pray in public, but never prays in private. Prayer is something that flows out of our relationship with God. It's not a badge of honour that we wear at our home group or our youth group or connect. I know many people don't like praying in front of other people. Perhaps you've never done it before and it, it can feel like a scary thing. But can I say, and I want to say this gently, to be willing to pray in private but not willing to pray in public can actually be the result of thinking like the hypocrites do. So you're not standing on the street corner, but the reason you don't pray is the very same reason that the hypocrites do pray. You care less about how God views you and more about how how other people view you. And as we do that, we act like we've got something to prove. Needing to prove ourselves before others will drive some of us to pray publicly and it will stop others of us praying publicly. The truth of the gospel is that you and I have nothing to prove before God. And as we pray in Jesus' name we remind ourselves of the basis of our standing and access to God and the basis of our acceptance before our loving Father. It's only in Jesus. And so as in prayer, do you know what we do? We're just like little children approaching their father with our weak, feeble, uneloquent, gibberish prayers fresh with sin in our minds, fresh with failure in our minds, and we 
come before our loving Father confident, confident that our sin no longer is a barrier to our prayers, confident that God understands our struggles, confident that our prayers are good enough in Christ, and confident you have nothing to prove. Because God will no more reject your prayers than he will reject the prayers of his Son. Let's pray. Father, only you know the state of our prayer life. Only you know whether we pray in public or private and the reasons for that. Only you know whether we carry around guilt of failure and sin. Father, we just thank you so much for the reminder this evening that Wherever we're at, whatever we've done, we can confidently and boldly come before you in prayer, as we're doing now, because of your Son. Jesus, tonight we want to thank you and praise you that you gave up your life that we might have access to our loving Heavenly Father. And loving Father, we do pray that as we think about these truths, as we ponder just what it means to be able to pray to you and have access into your presence. We do just pray that you'd cause our hearts to delight and grow in love for you, that we might want to talk to you in prayer. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.